Let's get right to the latest out of Texas, where there are more questions than answers, and chief amongst those questions, namely, how could this happen again? I mean, that was the question being asked over and over yesterday and in the aftermath of this school shooting. How kids at a school could once again be victims of a mass shooting in the U.S.? The Global's Jackson Proskow, he is at the school in Uvalde, Texas, Robb Elementary School, where 19 students, two teachers lost their lives. He joined us earlier this morning in the morning show on Global Television, and we asked uh, Jackson, what more do we know about what happened there? I think the question that nags at everyone in this city is why, and that is the question that no one has an answer to yet. No one knows why the gunman carried out this rampage. No one knows a motive yet. We learned yesterday that he made posts on Facebook in the minutes leading up to the shooting here at the school. Posts that clearly said he was going to target an elementary school and its students. But again, the motive remains the question at this point. There was no prior history of criminality on his part, no prior history of mental health issues. And now the investigation is turning to the response with questions about what happened during the 40 minutes to one hour that the gunman was inside the school engaged in this standoff with police. We know that several police officers were uh, wounded by gunfire and ultimately it was a member of the Border Patrol's tactical squad who shot and killed the gunman. All right, Jackson, uh, what more can you tell us about the vigil that was held there in Uvalde last night? This took place at the fairgrounds, and it was a chance for the entire community to come together. And I can't stress enough how deeply impacted this small town has been. The population is only about 15,000, so you can imagine that almost everyone here has some connection to what happened at this school or the victims who were killed in yesterday's massacre. And so last night we saw students and teachers and parents and families come together to pray, to remember those who were lost, and to look for a way for this community to move forward. But I have to tell you, that's going to be incredibly difficult. Even checking into our own hotel here last night, the woman working at the front desk told me that three of her young cousins are among the victims at this school shooting. Mm. Uh, how is this tragedy, just finally, Ed Jackson, how is it impacting the never-ending debate about gun control there in the U.S.? In many ways, Carolyn, this feels like another Sandy Hook moment. We are 10 years after the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut. Nothing changed then, and it seems very likely that nothing will change after this. And the reason for that is that there is still no political consensus about how to stop this type of crime from happening, even though this is a uniquely American phenomenon. And yet, those on the right side of the spectrum, Republicans, are trying to blame this on mental health, even though the shooter had no prior history of mental health issues. They say that issue... Things like background checks and gun controls would not have stopped this from happening. And those on the left, Democrats, say that there need to be gun controls. They say that weapons like the AR-15 assault rifle that was used by the gunman should not be available to civilians, that those should be the type of weapons reserved for military and police. And yet there is no political consensus to bring the two sides together to bring about some sort of gun reform or gun control laws to stop this from happening again. All right, there's Global's Jackson Prosco in Texas joining Carolyn and myself earlier this morning on The Morning Show on Global Television. And joining us now here on the radio, Jim Kessler. He is the co-founder of Third Way, a Democratic think tank who worked with the Joe Biden's team in the aftermath of the Newtown shooting. Jim, appreciate the time, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, we got Jim there. Can you hear me? Yep, got you now, Jim. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
All right, lots of questions about the police response. Just heard uh, that in Jackson's uh, report. And of course, we've been reading that uh, throughout the day, that it wasn't minutes, but uh, closer to an hour before uh, police uh, went in after the uh, gunman. Uh, what more can you tell us about that police response? Well, look, I'm going to take this from sort of a political angle and the gun angle, because I'm sure the police response wasn't optimal, but these these police forces don't really are trained to deal with a mass shooter coming into an elementary school and shooting up seven and eight year old kids. And the problem, I mean, I'm sure there'll be improvements for the police uh, response to it is the problem is the gun. Okay. This is a uniquely American disease. Uh, This is happening far too often. The goal is to shift this uh, conversation to the response the problems are the guns. An 18-year-old kid who is clearly troubled should not be able, on his birthday, buy a couple of assault weapons, 350 rounds of ammunition, and do whatever he pleases. But in America, unfortunately, that is the right that he has, especially as a Texan, where the laws are especially weak. That's the problem, more so than the law enforcement response. All right. So having said that, Jim, uh, what, in your estimation, needs to change and change now that would have uh, the biggest impact? There's a lot of talk, of course, about these military assault weapons, the AR-15, that uh, they should not be for sale. They should not be on the street. So this is let me tell you what needs to change. But I will tell you right now, none of it will change. So first of all, the legal age to purchase a firearm needs to go from 18 to 21. That will not happen. Number two is... We need to go back to the assault weapons ban that we had between 1994 and 2004, which banned the manufacture and future sale of military-style weapons. Um, That will not happen as well. We need to have background checks so that people can't evade uh, going to a gun store. In America, you need to go to a gun store. Um, When you buy a gun from a gun store, you have to go through a background check, but there are ways around it where you can legally buy a gun without a background check. That won't happen as well. Uh, And also in America, we granted the gun manufacturing industry and gun sellers immunity from all lawsuits. So there's no breaking mechanism in the industry. There's there's no fear that if they do something wrong, they'll get sued. That law passed in 2006. That law needs to be repealed. We won't do that either. All right. Why is that? I mean, you mentioned a number of uh, measures that uh, could, should happen, uh, Jim, but uh, you followed that up with uh, it won't happen. Uh, Why won't any of this uh, happen? You know, there are moments and times when we've been able to pass gun laws nationally in this country. They've been very, very rare. 1968, we passed the first really major gun law. It was after the Robert F. Kennedy assassination and the Martin Luther King assassination, And we decided in that law that there were certain people ineligible to buy a gun. Felons, people dishonorably discharged, people adjudicated mentally ill. It wasn't until 1993 that we passed a law, so 25 years later, that says, well, you actually have to check to see if a buyer is a prohibited buyer before they can, you know, buy a gun. And then in 1994, we passed the assault weapons ban. Okay, that's it. We haven't passed really a major law restricting in any way gun purchasing or gun ownership in 28 years. 
So the problem is one is one of political will. So particularly now the Republican Party, it is a party that I think just as derelict in its duties and as kowtowed to the uh, gun lobby and the gun industry and the National Rifle Association, and they do their bidding. The other problem is we're a nation of gun owners. Forty percent of Americans own a firearm. Firearm sales in America have skyrocketed in the last few years. We are selling more guns now, four times more guns per year in America than we did 20 years ago. So the same sort of chaos that has gripped this country, that, you know, same sort of polarization that you have and, um, uh, you know, problems on social media, et cetera, it has infected this gun debate, too. And Americans are arming themselves more, you know, and hopefully they'll be seeking more gun safety, gun control laws. But right now, you know, I haven't seen it. You know, you talk about the political will, Jim, and uh, I was thinking about the will of the people. And maybe you've kind of answered this uh, question when you talk about uh, more and more Americans arming themselves uh, recently, because just wondering if this latest uh, tragedy in Texas, is this moving the needle? I mean, uh, we look at, uh, you know, impassioned pleas by the likes of the uh, Warriors uh, coach, uh, Steve Kerr, uh, the other night that uh, went viral and touched uh, many people. Uh, Is there a sense that uh, maybe this tragedy is perhaps changing things? I hope so. You know, I mean, I thought that it would after uh, Sandy Hook. I was involved in negotiations trying to get a gun bill back then under Barack Obama. Vice President Biden at the time was really on top of it. And you know, we made it, you know, we made a good college try of it, but we fell short. And, you know, in this country, the way the way our system of government is set up, rural states, sparsely populated rural states that have high gun ownership rates really have a lot of influence in the Senate. And they're very much against any of these gun laws. So, you know, Wyoming, with its 700,000 people, has as much power in the Senate as California with its 50 million people. And, you know, that's not going to change, but they each get two votes. And, you know, that has, that's a real problem when it comes to these laws. I hope there will be changes, but, you know, I'm not going to pretend that something like this is going to be a game changer because I've seen this too many times. Just finally, Jim, can I ask you, you mentioned a second ago that this is a uniquely American epidemic. Why is that, do you think? So we have a Second Amendment that confers an individual right to own a gun um, that, you know, came out of our revolution against a British monarchy and part of the belief on how you prevent tyranny. So I think that's somewhat unique. I think similar to Canada, it's also a country that, you know, came European settlers who then moved west to um, uh, to settle hostile lands. And so there's a sense of self-reliance. And I think those things, um, you know, have contributed to it. And I, I don't want to pretend that issues of race in this America, in, in this country haven't, uh, you know, helped solidify some of these views as well. There's a Certainly an earlier feeling decades ago that's like, okay, these are white people that need to buy a gun because they're afraid of African-Americans. 
Well, listen, it is just uh, heartbreaking. Uh, it goes without saying uh, what we've uh, witnessed there in uh, Texas. Uh, and I guess if not now, when is what a lot of people. But again, as you referenced, we were saying that nearly 10 years ago with uh, Sandy Hook. Jim, really appreciate the time uh, with us uh, here this afternoon. And thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. That is Jim Kessler, who is the co-founder of Third Way, a Democratic think tank, who again worked with uh, Joe Biden's team in the aftermath of the uh, Newtown shooting. And we're back after this. Hi, it's Shauna. And I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan. And I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.